Still no verdict in the Rittenhouse trial where deliberations have now gone a full three days and counting. Adele drops her highly anticipated new album and Love Hate 8 to end the week. Friday Need to Know. Let's go. Good morning. This is Cheddar's Need to Know podcast for Friday, November 19th. I'm Jill Wagner back with Carlo Versano. Carlo, uh, good to have you back and hope everything went well with Becky and, and getting back to work. It did indeed, Jill, as well as it could have gone. Um, thank you guys for uh, for covering. Thank you to Baker always. Thank you to Mosh for uh, filling in. Uh, and thank you to you for uh, holding down the fort. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, it, it, it went, uh, let me just say this, solo parenting, that is a hard job. I've been sort of the primary caregiver uh, for little Franny for the past three days. And whoever says that that's not a full-time job uh, has never had a infant who does not sleep. Let me just say that. It's harder than a full-time job. I always used to say yeah. like when I, when I finally went back to work, work is easy. I've been working yeah. for a very long time. I got that <laughs> down pat. Parenting of a newborn – especially a firstborn that's yeah. that's the real challenge yeah that's a whole nother ball of wax it's fun though it's definitely fun and it's um it's it's challenging as all hell but uh just you know seeing her smile and and um every once in a while when she actually will close her eyes and go to sleep for a few minutes i let out a little cheer um so yeah it's all good but thank you again for uh for giving me the the couple days to sort of help with uh with that transition i think it i think it meant a lot to becky all right. And don't forget, um, just some housekeeping. You could join the YouTube watch party this morning, um, 9 a.m. Eastern time uh, for this podcast, youtube.com slash cheddar now. We'll All right, be there. Carla, let's get to some news here. Jurors in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial will resume deliberations this morning, having now gone 23 hours and counting without delivering a verdict in the highly charged case. Five public schools that are near the courthouse in Kenosha have moved to virtual classes in anticipation of unrest when a verdict is reached. The judge in the case has now banned MSNBC from the courtroom after a freelance producer for the network was pulled over for running a red light while following the jury van. NBC says the producer was never intending to tar uh, contact jurors. Yeah, this is... Um this thing with NBC has become sort of a, a cause celeb, I think, on the right. It was all over Fox News yesterday, I saw, uh, sort of to show that the media is trying to influence uh, the jury or or tank the deliberations. So I just wanted to, to sort of explain what's going on here. Um, you know, bookers do this all the time. Television bookers do that kind of thing all the time. I used to, frankly, when I was on an assignment desk, I used to personally hire people to do just that, to stake out jury vans in high-profile uh, trials. Um, and you may think that that's tacky and not okay, and that's fine. You're probably right. It, 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 is, a, it is a little bit, uh, you know, kind of kind of like a, a gross thing to do. Um, but it's not specific to this case. That's that's the bottom line. I mean, network producers do all sorts of kind of like iffy things to get the story and to get these high profile bookings. Um, and Rittenhouse jurors are going to be some of the biggest bookings of the year for some of these networks. Uh, so I just want to sort of get on the on the record with that um, because it's sort of becoming a big story here. But just back to the deliberations. I, I'm surprised, aren't you? I'm surprised at how long it's taking. Um, 
you know, what, uh, Derek Chauvin, I think it was what, 10 hours. OJ Simpson was like four hours. It seems to me like, um, you know, I still think that they're not going to convict Rittenhouse, at least on the top charge of murder in the first degree. Um, but I'm a little bit surprised at how long this is taking. And maybe that suggests that, uh, it's not so, it's not so clear cut in that jury room. Yeah, no, I, I agree. There, there was some thinking from analysts that if this came back quick, it was probably good for Rittenhouse, um, because yeah. that, that probably just meant that, that, they it was either, you know, a hung jury or they just, you know, they decided to, to acquit. Um, they did ask yesterday to see another, uh, uh, to look at a piece of video evidence. Um, you know, look, this trial was a long trial. There's a lot of evidence to go over. So uh, we'll see. I mean, next week's Thanksgiving, they may, you know, you, you, you would like to think that the jurors are going to take as much time as they need, um, but yeah. they might want to get this wrapped up before the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, meanwhile, in Georgia, closing arguments are set to begin on Monday in the trial over the killing of Ahmaud Arbery. The defense has rested its case after it gambled by putting Travis McMichael on the stand. McMichael was the trigger man who shot Arbery. He admitted under cross-examination that Arbery did not speak or threaten him in any way before he shot him. Now, I can't believe they put that guy on the stand. Uh, written that, when they put Rittenhouse on the stand, that made a little bit of sense to me because I think, like I said a while ago, like if it's a self-defense case, I think it's you probably want to hear from the, um, you know, from the from the shooter in that case. This one I don't understand. I mean, I, I know that these two cases are sort of getting mashed together in like the public consciousness is like this kind of like big race, one big racial reckoning story, but they're very different. They're very very different. Uh, the Arbery case, in my opinion, is open and shut. I mean, there's you know, it, it, this guy was executed on the street for what appears to be absolutely no reason. If those two men or three men, I should say, uh, get off, that I think would be an epic uh, miscarriage of justice. And I again, I just think that the Rittenhouse trial is much more um, nuanced than the Arbery case. And much more nuanced, as Moshe and I were talking about, um, much more nuanced than the mainstream media would have had you believe going into sure, this trial. Yeah. Um, and Moshe and I were talking a couple days ago on this podcast, the fact that there's so much stuff that's coming out that people like me and you and, and people are surprised by um, because it just doesn't fit that original narrative of, of, of Rittenhouse being this, you know, white supremacist who crossed state lines, having no connection to Kenosha, looking for trouble. Um, I'm not uh, weighing in on his guilt or innocence, but it, it, as you point out, um, it's it's not clear cut at all. Um, and and again, it's much more nuanced and a different story, I, I think, than than we were originally than we all than we originally believed. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I had, you know, I, I sort of got caught up in that narrative, I think, in the beginning also. And I admit that, I you know, mea culpa, I, I you know, I, I was sort of wrong on this case. And again, I'm not saying I, I continue to believe that what he did was morally reprehensible and I don't have any sort of, um, you know, empathy for him whatsoever. Um, but just having rewatched the video of this incident, I watched it the other day for the first time since this happened last summer. And again, it is a much, you know, a, a much different story and the idea that there is a, you know, it's open and shut that this was a first degree murder, I think is just not the case. Um, all right, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about politics now. The House planning to vote on President Biden's $1.7 trillion social spending and climate change bill today after the first attempts at a vote were delayed last night. 
Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader, held up the floor with an eight-hour speech blasting Biden's agenda. McCarthy broke the record for the longest floor speech in the history of the House, previously held by Speaker Pelosi. The House doesn't have a filibuster, but it does have a rule that lets leadership talk for as long as they want. Yeah, McCarthy's uh, clearly making making the the case here for to become speaker uh, if and when the Republicans take the House next year. I think that's what he was up to last night um, because Democrats do have the votes here. They, they have the votes to send this bill to the Senate, uh, especially after a cost estimate came in yesterday that eased concerns of some centrist holdouts. Uh, and once the House d- does pass this bill, it'll be in the hands of uh, Senators Manchin and Cinema to decide sort of what stays or what goes. And the whole, the whole thing could still be put on ice. Um, I think Manchin and Cinema could decide that they're just not going to vote on this. Um, but we shall see. And just on that, the note of that cost estimate, this came courtesy of the nonpartisan CBO. Uh, they found that this legislation would add $367 billion to the budget deficit over the next decade. Uh, but that also does not account for the, uh, t- uh, in the top line for revenue raised by increasing IRS enforce- enforcement of tax cheats. Um, so it would actually probably end up being uh, significantly less than that should it pass. All right, on to the pandemic. We're expecting the FDA to approve booster shots for all adults as early as today. In the meantime, a new study um, on the origins of the coronavirus theorizes that the virus did, in fact, start at that infamous Wuhan wet market. Dr. Michael Warby, a scientist from the University of Arizona who traces the evolution of viruses, has published his analysis in the prestigious journal Science his study suggests that the first known person who contracted COVID was a seafood vendor who worked at that market and likely became infected in mid-November of 2019. Yeah, so mm. this would conflict. This, Yeah, I mean, this would conflict with the lab leak theory, um, as well as the WHO's official theory, uh, which posits that patient zero was an accountant in China who had actually no connection to either the uh, seafood market or the lab in Wuhan. You know, we're we're probably never going to know for sure. Um, But I think it's important here not to think that this is sort of settled the origins of this virus. And it is important. I I think a lot of people are sort of like, who cares? Like, what's the you know, what's the difference? Well, we got to know because, you know, if and when this happens again, we need to know how we can trace it. Um, And, you know, Joe, you and I talked previously about, you know, sort of the lab leak theory and the gain of function research uh, that the NIH funded at that lab in Wuhan. And again, it's certainly possible that this thing, this virus escaped from that lab. But I think that it's just as likely, if not more so, that it did in fact end up coming from that uh, from that market, just given that so many cases were traced there. And we also know that SARS started that way. And that's sort of the point that this guy makes in this analysis by going through like the genomes of the, uh, the early cases of the virus. Um, so that's that on the booster debate, which, again, we're probably going to get the news today, I think, on opening up boosters for all. Man, you got to you got to hand it to our public health officials in this country. They're going to end up doing this just in time to miss the you know wave of Thanksgiving travel. Um, and it's just I mean, the confusion on the booster thing. I think is going to go down with some of the early mask guidance as one of the bigger blunders of this whole pandemic, don't you? I do. I, the problem with the boosters, though, is that I don't I don't know if the science is clear. I, I've been following a bunch of epidemiologists and and seeing their thoughts on it. I think most are coming out on the side of just get the boosters. Um, that there's yeah. no real downside. However, I think that there's 
there is mixed data in terms of how much it's really going to benefit somebody who is healthy and, and young and has already been vaccinated. They say the much bigger issue is getting first and second shots into people's arms than the boosters. Um, but I agree. I, I think the mixed messaging is a problem uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, on the origins of, of COVID, I've, I, I'm fascinated by all of this. Um, and oh, yeah, if you want to know more or go hear from the source or just kind of get lost in social, on social media, the doctor um, that we mentioned, Dr. Michael Warby, who published this, this um, article in, in the journal, he's on Twitter and he's basically responding to, to critics. Oh, really? Um, and it's just fascinating that. to see. Yeah. I mean, I spent way too much time this morning on his Twitter feed. <laughs> um, and I just think the one thing that's quite clear here is that not still nothing is clear. And again, this points to right. just the shame um, that China was so uh, just sorry, I almost uh, hit my mic. You know, I think it just points <laughs> to just, you know, this missed opportunity to really figure this out. Um, China hid what was going on for so yeah. long. We're now, what, 18, 19 months. Actually, almost we're two years from this. The first potential case mid-November yeah. 2019 and still dealing with this, um, yeah. you know, and the fact that we don't really know how it started uh, because we couldn't get in there because evidence was destroyed because this market was basically disinfected and cleaned before right. um, scientists from around the world could get in. Uh, it's just such a shame. Yeah, I mean, that's the bottom line, right? That's the bottom line. Whatever, wherever the origin came from, China clearly tried to hide it uh, from the, you know, from the global public uh, for far too long. And look where we are now, right? To think about that two years ago, this first, these first cases were starting to come out. These, uh, they were saying it was pneumonia. You and I started talking about it, I think, in late December of 2019. And, uh, and here we are, been the biggest story now for two years. And the problem is no... There's a lot of skepticism now about anything that comes out and about yeah. any accounts from the people who got sick in the beginning. And that's one of the things that this doctor is talking about on his Twitter feed. There, you know, there's a lot of people who feel like they can't really take the accounts from these people seriously because maybe they're getting pressured by the Chinese government. Like, are these actual right. accounts of what happened um, or is this part of a bigger cover up? Um, exactly. And so that's the issue is like, how will we ever actually feel confident in in people's testimony, in data? I, I don't know. It just adds to a lot of confusion here. And it, it's a, yeah. again, it's a shame because it is science and we probably could have figured this out relatively easily um, had there been more transparency. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, switching gears, Apple, the latest big tech company to bump back its return to office once again. Apple employees being told to report back to the office on February 1st, at which point the company is going to start a hybrid model that includes four weeks a year to work remotely. That's up from uh, from two weeks. The original plan was to give them two weeks. Employees pushed back on that. They said they want more time to work from home. Uh, so Apple caved, and now they're giving them four weeks. Also, I don't know if you saw this, Jill, yesterday, our new governor, Kathy Hochul, uh, calling on workers in New York City, that would be us, to go back to the office in the new year. She said, quote, that the uh, uh, the city's office buildings are, quote, still too empty. Um I saw some people on Twitter yesterday saying that, you know, that shows that she's in the pocket of the developers. And it's like, yeah, you think? I mean, of course, politicians are in the pockets of developers. I mean, that's, the developers run the cities, right? I mean, I don't think people understand how property taxes work in, you know, a city like New York City. I mean, that is the biggest source of revenue for the municipal government. Like, what do people think is going to happen when some of these big office tenants 
get their property tax bill in the mail. Do you think they're still going to pay the same amount of money that they paid two years ago when they had a full office working? No, of course not. They're going to try and renegotiate that um, as they should, right? And so at the same time, you have people like Hochul who are sort of acting like these last two years just didn't happen and saying like, okay, it's time for everybody to go back. Even though, as we've discussed now, you know, ad nauseum, one of the biggest lessons has been – Right of the pandemic, that a lot of us can do our jobs remotely without sacrificing, um, you know, quality of work, et cetera. So I, I think that this. I'm, I remain fat. You know, you were talking about how you're fascinated by the origins of COVID, which I am as well. I'm just fascinated by this this return to office issue. Um, you know, what's the plan here, folks? Right? Are we going to convert some of these empty offices to housing stock? Perhaps. Um, I haven't seen anybody take the lead on this issue, and I feel like it's just one of those things that people aren't really understanding understanding how important it is, right? The garbage gets picked up in New York City because big corporate tenants pay a ton of money to lease space in those skyscrapers. I mean, yeah, that's part of it. But I, I also think that that you have the ripple effects as well. You've got the restaurants, you've got the, the businesses right. that feed yeah. off of people coming into work in these downtowns. Um, and, and we just are, again, these, these offices are empty. So think about, you know, the person selling their, you know, in the coffee cart on the corner, the, uh, restaurants that are serving lunch, just all of those businesses that thrive because of downtowns, um, and, and, and business districts. And I don't know, it's like, do we just do a total rethinking of the way our economy runs? Um, I, I don't know in a year from now, is this going to be a moot point? Is it once you get back to the office, you're going to kind of everyone's just going to be back and happy to be back. And and we sort of forget, you know, it's like when you, I don't know, I sometimes feel like when I'm sick, I'm always like, you know, oh, I'm never going to get better. And I am laying in bed yeah. and, I'm, and whatever. And then once you get better, you sort of forget what you felt like when you were sick. You know, and I, mm-hmm. I, I maybe that's a kind of a dumb analogy, but I, I do wonder once we start to resume some type of normalcy, um, will we sort of forget the the things that we were doing during the pandemic, which are the trends that are yeah. going to stick, which right. are the ones that we're going to that are going to go away. I just, yeah, um, I, I latest- but like as you saw, as you saw with Apple, like the longer they keep pushing this back, the, the, the harder it's going to be to get people back into these offices. Well, the thing is, people moved, you know, if there's not right. everybody's just sitting in their apartment or their house <laughs> 20 right, waiting, miles from their office. The, uh, yeah. Right. Waiting for the green light. Um, and yeah. that's been one of the issues when we talk about getting the economy back up and running and the labor shortage is that there aren't necessarily the workers available in the same places that they were uh, at right. the start of the pandemic. Um, yeah, the economy is okay, a, diff- a completely different global- thing than it is. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, sorry. Well, you know, we're both home. And so there's just more of a delay. And I think it gets yeah, us, yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it makes for more a little more awkwardness, uh, yes. which would be better if we were in person, right? Exactly. Uh, okay. The latest victim of the global semiconductor shortage, heated seats and steering wheels, which are no longer included on new Chevy models because of a lack of chips that make those features work. Now Chevy parent GM and its Detroit rival Ford are looking to take matters into their own hands to deal with that chip crunch. Both companies have announced separate partnerships with chip makers intended to boost supply and strengthen supply chains, especially as newer cars are needing even more of these chips to run. 
Yeah, so GM says yesterday that they're going to co-develop chips with a handful of companies. Uh, Ford is actually going even further. They're partnering with an American chip maker uh, to eventually bring this entire design and manufacturing process entirely in-house, which would be really cool, right? I mean, talk about, you know, ways to strengthen the supply chain. If you're doing it all yourself, uh, that's one way to do it. Uh, And it's also not just the legacy automakers that are being hit by this chip shortage. A couple of days ago, it came out that even Tesla, which we discuss is, you know, much more vertically integrated than Ford and GM, et cetera, uh, they've been shipping their new Model 3s without USB ports because there's no chips for those. All right. If last weekend belonged to Taylor Swift, then this weekend is all about Adele. The singer's hugely anticipated album, 30, dropped overnight on streaming services, and the first reviews call it a masterpiece of heartbreak and honesty from an artist at the top of her game. Adele's been making the media rounds all week, opening up about everything from her divorce to postpartum depression and body image issues. We didn't get a chance to talk about her uh, her Oprah interview the, uh, last weekend. Did you watch any of that? You know what? I didn't, actually. No, yeah, it was good. I want she, to. Uh, she, there was no reason. I yeah. just I just didn't have an opportunity. It was funny because it was done in that I think it's like Oprah's backyard where she does these interviews because it was the same place where she did, did the one with uh, uh, Meghan Markle and Harry. It's just kind of funny that she's like sitting out there in California and just like has these people coming to her backyard for these big interviews. Um, if Oprah can work from home, yeah. why can't the rest of us, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, by the way, I read uh, I read on one of these parenting – this is apropos of nothing here. I read on one of these parenting message boards that Becky and I use that babies apparently – Apparently, love to fall asleep to Taylor Swift. So I don't know if anybody out there has uh, has you has has found that to be the case. Um, but I'm curious. I'm going to start trying it with her her album this weekend. All right, time for a little more to know before we go. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Smith has granted clemency to the inmate Julius Jones, commuting his death sentence to life without parole just hours before Jones was scheduled to be executed. Jones was convicted of a 1999 murder and has maintained his innocence throughout his 20 years on death row as his case drew attention from celebrities and other advocates. Uh, Down in Brazil, the uh, pace of deforestation in the Amazon rainforest reached a 15-year high, according to official data. Uh, The Amazon lost more than 13,000 square kilometers last year, despite the uh, Bolsonaro government's claims that it wants to end illegal deforestation in that rainforest, which, of course, we know is the Earth's lungs, as they call it. Uh, The Brazilian Amazon hadn't recorded a single year with more than 10,000 square kilometers of deforestation in over a decade before Bolsonaro came to power. How has the world just not come together to pay this guy to stop yes. tearing down the rainforest? I mean, enough already. Yeah. Um, India's prime minister has relented to sustained protests over the country's agricultural laws. Uh, Neandra Modi saying um, he's going to repeal the contentious farm laws aimed at overhauling India's struggling AG sector. Those laws have been the subject of protests by farmers who have been demonstrating in the streets for the last year. Yeah, protests work, at least in some cases they do. Uh, Bloomberg reporting that Apple is going full throttle now on its plans for a new car. The project could be ready for launch by 2025. That would be much sooner than people thought. Uh, According to this report in Bloomberg, the plan is for this car to be fully self-driving, wouldn't even have a steering wheel, and the passengers would face each other inside. I guess kind of like a Mm. cab? I don't know. Uh, Apple's been working on a car in fits and starts really since 2014 under this code name Project Titan. 
The FBI is currently searching the site of a former landfall uh, fill in Jersey City, New Jersey, for the remains of Jimmy Hoffa, the Teamster boss who vanished in the 1970s. The New York Times reporting that a man on his deathbed admitted to burying Hoffa's body in a steel drum on the site. Oh, I'm excited to see if we if, if this turns into something or if it's just another one of these, uh, you know, false starts on that on that case. Uh, and finally, just in sports, the New England Patriots are good, quite good. Again, uh, the Pats shut out the Falcons in Atlanta last night during Thursday night football, winning their fifth road game in a row. Rookie quarterback Mac Jones proving to be the standout from that stacked uh, QB draft class this year. Tom Brady, who, I guess. All right. Time for a little love, hate, eight. Okay, Jill, I'll start today. Uh, One thing that we love, making a to-do list, uh, and better yet, actually, crossing something off a to-do list. I I feel like the the longer something has been on your to-do list, the more satisfying it is when you're finally able to cross it off. I have things on my to-do list that are literally, they've been there for years. I'm just never going to get to them. I did something that was on my to-do list yesterday and it was, and it had been on my to-do list for months and I had been dreading it and it felt wonderful. Um, One thing that we hate when you sign an email, thank you. And you receive a, you're welcome email in return. Is it just us or is that a little passive aggressive? We're going to shout out Kylie uh, for that submission. I think it's all about the punctuation. Is there a, you're welcome with an exclamation point, not passive aggressive, just maybe a little, uh, too excited, you know, and then, you know, or is it with a period or just no punctuation at all? So I think it, the punctuation makes or breaks the tone. Interesting. I see. I, I always appreciate a your welcome email. Not that I've never really sent one in my life, but um, I think it's a nice thing to do. The power move, though, with with emails, especially at work, is to just send a blank email with the subject line, call me. That's the move. I want to get to a place in my career where I can just do that, just blast out, call me subject lines to people and not do any other emails. Um, The biggest joke in my family is that my dad is notorious for sending text message, all caps, just call me. And you think your heart drops because you're like, what, you know, what is the issue? And it's nothing. It's just, he wants to tell you just, you know, a little story or whatever. And finally we're like, okay, we're putting the kibosh on the just generic call me text. Just tell us <laughs> yeah. briefly what it's about and we can know the urgency. Yeah, no, totally. Anytime my parents call me, I'm like, my heart drops. I'm like, oh, somebody died, didn't they? Um, I don't know. Is that just our generation that does that? Maybe it's – I don't know. It's, it's usually because every other phone call we get is like a robocall, right? Uh, and finally, one thing that we ate, uh, the chocolate chip cookies from Wegmans. Do they have Wegmans out in, in uh, Long Island? Unfortunately, no. It's not really oh. no. They don't. They've. I've only they been in one o- in Rochester um, because my yeah. cousin lives out there, and it's amazing. And I'm jealous you have one now in Brooklyn. Yeah, they opened this huge one in Brooklyn, and it's amazing. It's sort of like it's got like the snacks of Trader Joe's, like the produce of Whole Foods, but just like the selection of like a Stop and Shop or a Kroger. Um, and it is amazing. Those people in Rochester, they always talk about how good this grocery store is. And I gotta say, they're right. All right, that's what you need to know for Friday, November 19th. Have a good weekend, guys. See you on YouTube.